Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. first speaker this morning is my friend, Andy Halsey, Pastor Andy Halsey, and he has been a pastor for how many years has it been? When were you ordained? I was ordained in 2006. 2006. All right. So you can do the math. I won't do it for you and embarrass myself. 16 years. He has, um, for a long time, he was a pastor at uh, First Presbyterian Church in Charleston, Mississippi, which is a PCA church. Now he is planning a church with Evangel Presbytery in uh, Columbus, Indiana, home of strange architecture and other things. And so, Andy, please come up and uh, preach the word. Yeah, I was ordained uh, right after my second child was born, so I really should know that. 16. So I'm out on the open road with my son now. Um, He's learning to drive. Uh, I know that this... That wasn't a joke. That's really... I know that this is uh, a talk on loneliness. Um, Actually, you guys have filled out pretty good, but... Don't feel like you have to sit far away from the speakers. You can kind of come forward, and you don't have to move now. Um, it'll help you meditate on the theme, maybe, but love each other today. Get close to each other. That's going to be one of our application points. Um, don't look like a congregation that has COVID still going around, okay? Um, let's get close. Um, I was asked to speak on fatherhood and the loneliness of leadership, and at first it's it's strange to even talk about um, being alone as a dad. Sometimes all I want to do is be alone as a dad, Um, especially the younger the kids are, the more you want to be alone sometimes. Um, So first of all, let me say a couple of things about fatherhood in general, and then we'll pray, and then we'll start. Um, I have, I have a, I want to read you a, just a, just a, just a headline. No dad joke, this is from Psychology Today, okay. No dad joke, fatherhood shrinks the brain. If your dad and you didn't need them to tell you that, raise your hand. No, a couple of hands. I see those hands. Okay, the rest of you, the part of your brain that acknowledges truth is what has been affected. But yeah, fatherhood shrinks the brain. A study shows reduction of the gray matter of the brain and first-time fathers. So Matt Shiflett is somewhere around here about to have that happen to him. So just keep an eye on poor Matt. Fatherhood has gotten a bad name in the last century or so uh, through the likes of psychology today, Homer Simpson, um, 
maybe you and me, we, we like to beat up on fathers because we think that they can take it. Um, I remember reading a story about a married couple that were, they were fighting constantly, and she would say the most awful things to him. And in counseling, it just came out, well, he's, he can take it. He's strong, and he couldn't take it. Men are weak in ways that we don't often acknowledge, and so we are vulnerable to all the lies of the world, and if we hear these lies often enough, and some of us have grown up in a generation that's just swimming in an ocean of the worthlessness of fathers or the, the stupidity of fathers or the, the way that fathers are good for dad jokes and uh, that's about it and maybe to help put food on the table but by no means should he prepare the food. We're swimming in that and so we're vulnerable to it. So I want to begin just by saying dads, good job for just being dads. You are very necessary, and your job and your work as dad is a noble calling, and you have no right to let anyone denigrate it. It is a high calling. It is a necessary thing. God, our Father, has invented the office of fatherhood to show what he is like, and so it is a very weighty thing that we have to do, and we ought not to fall for the lives of the world. Um, it is an important work. So let's pray before we begin that God would help us to see the value of fatherhood and understand the loneliness inherent in it. Father, we're about to open your word and hear various, um, from various portions of it about how we're to meet its challenges. Would you help us to do this with courage and with faith? Help us to embrace uh, the good and high calling of fatherhood and to love it and to learn how we can establish connections with one another and with you to help get us through this important work. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to read to you some texts from scripture that will throw a light on the reality of leadership, loneliness, fatherhood, all rolled into one. So being a leader is lonely. It's lonely at the top. It's axiomatic to being a leader that you're going to be alone. You, you are in many ways alone. And we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't try to hide that. I am an only child. I grew up on a dairy farm. When school wasn't in session, I didn't have friends because this was back in the 80s and we didn't have social media, we didn't have internet. We had actually a party line, which is much less fun than it sounds. When we would pick up the phone to try to call a friend, we would hear other people talking, hang up and wait until the line was and you just keep having to choose. So we didn't, we didn't call each other. There's no texting, there's no calling. So I grew up alone and pretty well adapted to alone and solitude was just normal for me. And so one of the things that I have to fight is the, is, is the inability to know that I'm alone and that being alone is not good. It's not good for man to be alone. But now hear what scripture says about various men who were leaders and fathers and were alone. 
It came about, this is Genesis 22. It came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. He split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb. For the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together, and one of them was very alone. Dads, can you feel that? What that would be? Abraham was an old man. The time of having sons and raising sons was almost certainly behind him. Now, we find out later on it wasn't, but. Finally, after all that waiting, God had given him the son. And now God says, give him back. And he has to say goodbye to Sarah that morning. You know, he has to tell Isaac, okay, we're going to go on this mission. And boys love to go on missions with their dads, but John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 11. Wait, I don't remember John the Baptist being a father. Well, okay. But he was a leader. He was a father of many people in the faith because he led them to faith. And after a very, very spectacularly fruitful ministry, of proclamation, he was thrown in jail. And all his life he'd been pointing to Jesus. And John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ. He sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one? Or shall we look for someone else? The Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse, uh, well, I guess I'm just supposed to turn to it and find it. 4.16. Paul, you know, is in prison. He says, at my first defense, Timothy, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished. So all of these to say, 
loneliness, and all of the like emotions and experiences are objective realities. You will feel this. It's normal. And if you don't feel it, it's because you're like me. You're calloused in your heart and you're your own little hard nut that needs to be cracked. But none of God's people have been commended for being hermits. Okay? The monks in the desert, notwithstanding. It is lonely at the top and on the front lines. You are the leader. Men, of course, are made for mission. Every boy has at some point in his life visions of martial glory. Being in a hopeless battle, shooting his way out, fighting a losing battle and not losing. Boys play with guns and knives, and if they can't find those, I have boys that have, have toys like that, but even with an abundance of cap guns and everything else, they put tinker toys together in the shape of guns. Okay? Boys are made for the battle, and men are made for fights. Books are written, movies made, podcasts recorded about the man who goes alone into a battle and comes out with glorious victory. Men who by their wits, wisdom, courage, and strength overcome. Even in the last book of the Bible, we are told to him who overcomes the fight, the battle. And we love these stories because we're made for this work. This determination to overcome is necessary for holy men in a fallen world. As long as there is a Satan, as long as there is flesh, the sinful principle in us that inclines us to obey ourselves rather than God, as long as there is a world enticing us to envy, lust, anger, and fear, we need to be overcomers. The author of Hebrews even cheers us on in this by giving us a list of heroes. These are real men not Marvel comic book characters, counterfeits. These are men who, by faith, conquered kingdoms, performed righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. If you were in my generation, can you say it with me? Ho, ho, ho. That's great stuff. That's classic heroism. But there are dangers in leadership. Not all get the glorious spectacle of victory in this life, and all who do often have to suffer through terrible defeats along the way. You think about Abraham you know, denying his wife once, twice, in the midst of God continuing to promise him things. So back in the Hebrews passage, remember... Conquering kingdoms, shutting the mouths of lions. There's also this. Others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the... They were tempted. Okay, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. That's inspiring, but... Yeah. Understand, though, as we lead our families and churches and wives, and 
we are leading other people into those situations. And I'm glad to see so many women here because you need to know this is what your men are doing to you and for you. And they know how difficult and scary it is to lead their wives and children through this world. Their enemy, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and you, fathers, are responsible for your families in this situation. So to illustrate this view of leadership maybe more clearly and talk about the loneliness of it, consider switching leader, the word leader, out for point or point man. Um, One British Army website explains this definition. To, To take point, walk point, to be on point or be a point man is to assume the first and most exposed position in a battle military formation. The leading soldier or unit advancing through hostile or unsecured territory. That's what the world is. The soldier on point is frequently the first to take hostile fire. Frequently. But not always. The inherent risks of taking point create a need for constant and extreme operational alertness. And that's what we're called to as dads. You're out front, you're alone. But consider being the point man for your family, and then this last sentence of their explanation just sends chills through my bones. However, ambushes often intend to let the point element past the prime kill zone in order to be maximally effective. (sighs) Do you know what that says? They'll let the point man go. They see him coming through the jungle, and they know we can bag a lot more if we just let him go for a little while. Isn't that scary? Dads, you might make it through. You have made it through adolescence. You have made it through finding a wife. You have made it through having children. You've made it. Maybe you even have a job. You know, every, every worldly good is yours. But Satan has let you get this far to raise up more targets. Consider for a moment, you might get through and your family be cut down. Now you know this. That's, that's why we're talking about loneliness. Oh, no. What will happen if my son falls like I almost fell, like I did fall? Will he make it? Would you be satisfied to make it through safe into the kingdom and have your family not be able to follow you? Well, son, I wish you hadn't stumbled there. Should have heeded my warning. I told you. Oh, well. Too bad, so sad. I was right. Any of us monsters enough to say that to our kids? Eli, in the Bible, is an example of this kind of fatherhood. My sons, what I hear is not good. But he didn't stop them. Hezekiah was glad when he heard that there will be peace in my time. 
Don't be Neville Chamberlain's. Content to just make peace with the way things are and hope for the best because you've escaped. So, look, our experience on the ground is far from a romantic ideal. The men of the Hall of Faith did not think of themselves as the invincible heroes they've been written down for. Many sinned grievously, and they were afraid and doubted. Elijah himself despaired of his life. Moses was constantly on his face. Jesus tells us about the way to eternal life. He says there are few who find it. And we must often feel as though we are going it alone. More than one writer has observed that the price of leadership is loneliness. The price of fatherhood is loneliness. Loneliness and leadership go together by definition. One cannot be out front in a crowd. If you're a leader, you're alone. If you're a leader for more than an afternoon, you'll feel that aloneness, and it will help us endure if we just keep a couple of things in mind, okay? What is our job as fathers? What mission are we on? Okay. What mission are we on? Different writers have broken down our mission according to, to what we say in the Westminster Confession. You know, Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. Well, dads, for their families, need to be prophets, priests, and kings, too. We all understand the kingship, right? The buck stops here. Our marriage vows contain the word submit, you know. They should. The uh, Bible tells us that men are responsible for their the decisions in their home, they're responsible for the lead. Priests, we're priests, we pray for our kids. No one will doubt that, right? So what I want us to focus on is prophecy, the prophetic role of a father. We'll talk about all the rest, but prophecy. This is one of your most important works, Dad. And your loneliness is going to undercut it. It's going to make you hesitant to do it. Making leadership decisions, ruling as a king, is so hard and concrete. You'll do that, but you won't teach. You won't be faithful in teaching, and you must be faithful in teaching. Shall I hide from Abraham, God says, what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation. And in him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him, God says, so that... Abraham may command his children in his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he's spoken about him. Abraham's going to command his household to do God's will, so he's going to have to teach them God's will. And Abraham is not alone. Israel is told, Deuteronomy 11, you shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall teach them to your sons, talking of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your sons may be multiplied on the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them. So the easiest thing for us to do is to have our wives calligraphy scripture and put it on the wall, hang it up. And, you know, that's what the Jews did. They put the little boxes on the doorposts. 
And they kissed it as they went out. And they, they some of them even tie the boxes on their heads. But, but figures, right? Do you actually talk to your sons about the Bible? Do you actually talk to your children about Scripture? Do you apply it painstakingly in family worship? Do you gather them together and say, now this is what the Scripture means. This is how I've sinned against it. And I know that this sin will live in you too because you're my child. This is the, this is the sin I see in your mother. You know, don't, don't do that. But, but do that for her, sweetheart. This this is what the scripture says. Rejoice in the Lord always. This is what the scripture says. Forgive me before we go to communion today. You know. Talk about the scripture. You are a prophet. And you know what the prophets in scripture were? They were alone. They felt alone. And they kept going. Loneliness is a subjective term, but it's easy to look to your right and your left and say, nobody here is helping me with this. And then you have to say, well, whatever I feel like. I mean, I can't be in any worse shape than Elijah, and Elijah was told to buck up and keep going. Keep going. The injunction to care for, teach, and rule your household and teach them the word of God doesn't end with the Old Testament. Paul tells the Ephesians. And now listen for the prophetic, the priestly, and the kingly office here. Love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church. Okay, now look. Love your wives. And I was going to say that before I saw that they all showed up. Love your wives. Love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she be holy and blameless. This mystery is great, but I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. Your family is to picture Christ's relationship with his church. What does Christ do with his church? He gives himself up for her. Okay? So in other words... Come home from work. Here's an idea. Deal with the loneliness of leadership by being with those you lead and immersing yourself in their attention, in their problems, in their struggles, because that's what Jesus does with his church. Think of the potential Jesus had. He could have been king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus could have sat on a throne of glory forever. He does. But he came down. He interrupted his eternal kingliness and glory to come down. Men, come down. If you feel alone, visit your helpmate. Okay. Paul is even more pointed about this teaching ministry when he tells the Corinthian church, and this is gold for you guys, gold in the sense that it will weigh you down. Gold, gold is really heavy. The women are to what in the churches? 
Yeah, nobody's going to say it. And the wives certainly aren't going to say it because it says the women are to keep silent in the churches. Huh. For they're not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it's improper for a woman to speak in the church. And, and the world just wants to burn down the Bible for that. Because it says, well, this means that women are second-class citizens. Well, no, what it means is men, it's up to you. And we can go into why God saddles men with this responsibility, and there are reasons given in Scripture. But look, the implication of the passage is very clear. Men bear the responsibility for teaching their own families. Learn, your wives are supposed to depend on you. And man, in the, in the age of social media and blogs and... Um, what's her name? Um... I'm not expecting you to come up with it. I'm just looking at you because I have um, Beth, Beth Moore. You know, there are women who do a really good job of explaining a lot of things and they can be really fashionable at doing it. And, and yet scripture says the glorious thing about the family is men, you have to do this. This is your responsibility. And when I put myself next to Beth Moore and think, Scripture commands my wife to go to me instead of Beth, I feel sorry for my wife. But I'm not to feel sorry for my wife. This is the glorious thing about Christian homes. This is the glorious thing about being a husband and a father. It is up to me and God will equip me for what he's given me to do. And my wife is called by faith to trust God with that. And in the end, it is glorious. Nobody has to live with Beth Moore. My wife has to live with me, and I have to live with my wife. I get to live with my wife. Okay. So the loneliness of our position, thus it is, okay, it is up to us. We are the point man. We are the ones who go out. We sense we're supposed to smell out the traps, the little wires, trip wires that Satan lays across the path of our sons and of our daughters and of our wives. And it's up to us. And if somebody gets mowed down in our house, we are the chief pleaders. Follow Job's example. Pray for them. And to pray for them effectively, you have to know them. And that's not always easy. The older our kids get, the harder it can be to know them. Okay, but listen, there are helps, right? It's not good for man to be alone. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Our wives are helpers, suitable to us. Our helpers make us glad. Read about Adam's wedding day. Woof, that's great. He just composes poetry when he sees his bride coming down the aisle. And that's the way we're to be with our wives. And it's not always going to be so. Jesus says, he does say, don't think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the, those of his own household. 
Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Think of Abraham going up to sacrifice his son. Whoever doesn't take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So we have to be prepared for opposition, but, but let's just think about the good things that we have that surround us as fathers. Let me just ask the question. Do you feel, do you understand why you're supposed to feel lonely? Why if you feel lonely, it's acceptable? We understand that? Here's another reason you feel lonely is because all of your, all of the helpers that would lean in and help you in the church are on social media. And there's that echo chamber you can tune into and harumph, but nobody goes home with their friends on social media and, say, and sees the mess that they're not paying attention to in their home. I'm, I'm glad that, at least in my life, we're done with the days of the mom bloggers. You know, moms that used to take to, and I guess they still do this, I just don't pay attention to them anymore. But they take, to, take, they take to the internet to make my wife feel insignificant and unworthy and incapable and incompetent because they, they have so many good ideas about how to run their home. And you come to find out, well, okay, their writing is so popular that now their husband is able to take off from work and, and be her administrative assistant and code for her and all these other things. And, and oh, suddenly, the mamosphere wasn't so helpful. How's the manosphere working out for you? Is it going to be any different? I submit it's not going to be any different. All of the men who are put on this earth to help you are not going to be found through blogs, through podcasts, helpful though they may be. And I'll, I'll tell you the names of some that I have listened to, but you know what? The ones I listen to are, are with guys that I know. And I can see their families. And I can, I can hold them accountable and I can say, Jake, you're not getting it done like you say you are. That's one of their names. Um, and so far he's doing good. But listen, you and I are, are in the flesh. Telepathy is not a thing. Okay, If God wanted us to relate to each other through the internet, he would have made a creational, from the days of the garden, he would have made a part of the human being to be internet-like. We would have been able to read minds at a distance and only read the things that other minds wanted to show us at a distance. He didn't do that. And in heaven, we have no indication that he will do that. What people are doing in the book of Revelation in heaven is responding to things that they can see in front of their face. They are doing things with their bodies. We are resurrected bodies and souls. Okay, so the internet is, a, is kind of a false world to live in. It is a modern Tower of Babel. I'm not saying don't use it. I'm saying be aware that it does not do for you the things that you need when it comes to loneliness. 
This is why research tells us that lots of people are getting lonelier and lonelier the more friends they have. Because we are, we, we are voyeurs, we are lookers, we are onlookers. And onlooking doesn't do anything for you. Just like reading and memorizing scripture doesn't do anything for you. What did you just say? Wait a minute. Edit that part out of the recording, right? No, no, no. Reading and memorizing scripture doesn't do anything for you unless you act on it, you pray it. I can memorize all the live long day and go to hell. If I never actually compose a prayer to my heavenly father, and talk to him. I'm all input. And I'm a, you know the illustration, the Dead Sea. I'm dead if I don't speak. If I don't organize those words myself and give them back to him. And tell him, here I am, this is what I'm dealing with. I'm lonely, Lord, and my children are leaving home unfinished. I just said goodbye to a daughter this fall who went to uh, college. And praise God, I still have a three-year-old, okay? We're doing, we're doing potty training, you know. So I, I still have lots to occupy my mind. But when you hug your child for the last time in your home and then send her out, I'm not going to see you for six weeks. I mean, it sounded like an eternity. And it felt like an eternity. And then at that, I remember that next week was just horrible loneliness and sickening feeling of all the things that I thought when she was, when she was like, this tall, and I was in seminary, and we were doing all the right things. We were, we'd get out the Trinity hymnal, we'd do devotions right before I went off the class or to my internship, and just sweet little family of three, and we were all, and we were learning this hymn, and I remember we were memorizing a hymn, and we were going to go th all through uh, Terry Johnson's family worship book, you know, and we had all these grand visions of glory, memorize the Psalter, we're going to do all these things. And I sent her away to college and realized we'd memorized that basically that first hymn and, you know, some others along the way. But, oh, the haphazard way we, we did it. Oh. Somebody else is going to talk about failure later, so I won't. But I, I, why did I start saying that? It's not in my notes. Well, I... I can do this for you. I can read you a text, okay, that came this morning. I was coming here. I was expressing to the Lord my grief that, oh, you know, I, man, I should have prayed about this so much more than I. But thank you, Lord, that other people have prayed and are praying. And I had not said amen. And this comes across. Good morning, Daddy. I'm praying for you this morning. Oh. Yes, I just did that to you, but I didn't cry. I didn't keep reading the text, so I would have. But that's, that's, that's it. God is so kind. And when she was little and I had to discipline her, she was awful. 
Clara, if you're listening, I love you and you know it's true. But she'd, she would do something and, well, you know what we have to do now, Clara. No, I'm so sorry. And, but the one thing we've done, we've been very consistent. There is a crime that you commit in our house that always leads to the same punishment. And back in the good old days, in the glory days, it also always usually led to talking about the gospel. You know, you did this. Now what do I have to do? You have to do Yes, and why do I have to do it? Because sin hurts. And I, yes, that's right. And I, I forgive you, and I love you, and all these things. And all these, and those are lonely moments. Because it's, it's the nearest thing we get to taking our kids up on the altar and just... Because you think every time you, you discipline your child, you're sending them away forever. They're going to hate you. And then you do it. And then... <laughs> and, and they love you. And they're sweet the rest of the day. Or until the next meal time. And then... But then look, after, after like the age of, I don't know, by a certain age, we have noticed our need to... to, to to discipline in those ways starts to go away and what starts to grow up in its place is a real fellowship, a real sweetness. I gotta raise my voice sometimes, I have to do a look sometimes, and sometimes they melt in tears at my look, you know. And, but over time, what do you have for your lonely leadership? You have a fellowship. And over the years, your wife sees you do these things and she begins to trust you and begins to agree with you and sometimes begins to push you. Don't you think somebody needs a little bit of daddy knee time? If you, so um, I've made a jumble here. So let me say a few words of advice and application. I think I'm out of time actually, so. No, 10.15, woo-hoo! I've, I've dragged you along here so for an hour, now 15 minutes of application. So listen, punish your kids. <laughs> They'll keep you company forever. They will. Um, and they will love you if you punish them. If you spare the rod, it won't get sweet. It just won't. Your, your emotional life will just go to pieces because it will be more and more stressful. If you use the rod, there will be forgiveness and there will be a return. It will be sweet. So that's number one, really. I punish your kids. That's actually not in my notes, but it's so obvious. Uh, I've talked myself into it. Um, recognize that you are alone and you're lonely. If you don't do that, other people will know it, but they won't know what it is. They'll confuse it with other things because that's what you're doing. You're alone. You don't have anybody to talk to about the, the perils of fatherhood, the fears of, I don't know what to do about this kid. I feel like I should punish him, but I was raised to think that punishing kids is wrong. You know, all the crazy things that we... You know, you're alone. You don't know what to do. You don't, spanking doesn't seem to work. Okay, now, I've, I've heard people say that. Young children. 
And I'm telling you, it doesn't work the first 10 or 12 times. It seems not to. Um, you know, it works for a day, and then we just have to do all the same things, and your wife calls you on the phone, and I don't know, I've had to discipline him 12 times today for the same thing. Keep going. Okay. But when you feel that way, that's a real feeling. You're being a prophet in your home, and Jezebel has slain all the prophets, all the prophet, all the all the bad prophets are saying, be friends with your child, be, be sweet to your child, bribe them, put them in a corner, do time out, do all this and other things. And and you're the only guy saying, I saw Israel scattered, you know, on the hills. And your wife says, I, I knew it. He never says anything good. You're alone and you feel lonely. There are other men who will help you. Who are they? Well, you know, look in the phone book. Find, the, you remember phone books? Find the certified Christian counselor. No, that's not what I'm going to say. It's fun. I, I just have all of these things that I got off the internet because I was looking up loneliness, loneliness, loneliness and it is amazing how they all say the same thing when they write about leadership and loneliness. What do they all say? They all say support system, support group, cohort all these words except the one word they don't say. What is it? The church. Remember when I said telepathy isn't a thing? The church is the thing. Are you in a church where every conversation between men is about football? I mean, I know where I am. I lived 15 years in the South. I was in Mississippi. Every conversation is about football. And if it's not about football, it's about deer season. You know, what we're going to kill. One of the, We had a good time in Charleston. I love the people. One of the moms... Uh, was was telling my wife, oh, you know, it's always some kind of season. And my wife, we just moved there. My wife said, well, yeah, I mean, winters, summer, it's like, yeah, that's what a stupid kind of, well, she's talking about, well, the, the mother said, well, my, my boys never get up out of bed unless it's some kind of season. My wife said, well, it's, it's always winter or summer or fall. And he said, no, it's, you know, it's deer, it's like turkey, it's, Anyway, there are all kinds of seasons. And um, uh, so anyway, the church. What do you talk about with the men at church? You ever say, I don't know what I'm going to do with Isaiah. He is just nasty to me and to his mom. Do you ever say to the men of your church, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got this smartphone. I need it for my work. But pornography? What do you do? Get that kind of fellowship where you can talk to somebody about that. Loneliness is not not having people around. Loneliness is not connecting with the people that are there. And you never feel so alone as when you have an 8-year-old, a 6-year-old, a 3-year-old, and mom was away at the grocery store, and you're trying to do some work at home. I mean, you people don't understand me, do you? Well, no, they don't understand. That's not their job. You need the church. You need to get around men who will understand your struggles and what you're going through. Otherwise, 
you are going to go gray. And I don't mean your hair, that will happen. But you're not going to enjoy things. So one researcher gives actual symptoms of loneliness, loss of enjoyment, a sense that things are more gray than usual, tamping down one's emotions that dull the discomfort of loneliness, making it less noticeable, but also reduces the capacity to experience and therefore express enthusiasm. If you're lonely, your kids aren't going to like you. Because, like, dad's always depressed. Dad doesn't have friends. I have friends. I have lots of friends. Dad doesn't like any of them. But whatever. Dad doesn't know what friends are like. Okay? Get friends and talk to your kids about them. Get friends. Not guys that talk about football, although that can be the basis of starting. Okay? you got to start somewhere. But get deeper than that. Go to lunch with other guys, you know, talk and ask them questions and connect with them and admit, confess your sins to each other. Confess your sins toward your children and your wife. Confess your fears. Talk about how you are afraid about what's going on at work. Just do that. Otherwise, what do you have? I mean, I've witnessed, I've, I've, I've talked to men, I've experienced, I've known men who have not done this, right? What is there? Well, there is pornography to treat loneliness. It doesn't work. It's not helpful. It's very wicked. <laughs> but on top of wickedness, it makes you more lonely. There is social media. There is Facebook. There are Twitter wars to get involved with, and you think the brotherhood at arms. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. There is alcohol. And you guys, there's abuse. You will do things if you are lonely. You will resort to things if you are lonely. Whether you know why you're doing them or not. Get a friend before you get lonely. Consider the men of Scripture. What did they have? They had each other. Paul is always asking so-and-so to bring him something or talking about the men who came to minister to him. Paul. Paul who said, you know, it's great if you can be like me and be alone. But remember, he also said, it's better to marry than to burn. He also said, when he was reasoning whether you should get married, he said, you know, he who's married is concerned about the things of his wife, how he can please his wife. And that's axiomatic to marriage. You've gotten married, you haven't sinned. Please your wife. Please your wife. You, one of the things that the manosphere will tell you is women are stupid and you need to rule in your home and you need to... No, she's your helper. You're supposed to love her. And you can really enjoy her when she enjoys you. So here's an idea. Love your wife. Give yourself to her. Understand, you're not going to be 
a great missionary in far-flung places, if you're married, that's probably true. You're not going to go far as far in anything as you would if you hadn't gotten married, maybe. But God has called you to build something else more glorious, to send out a different kind of missionary, your children, your grandchildren. God has called you to get these people around you who will pile on you. There's, there's this uh, picture in my mind of uh, one of my kids' favorite movies, The Absent-Minded Professor. It's an old, 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 old Disney movie, black and white. Our kids love black and white movies. I don't think they've discovered anything that's not animated that's in color. Um, but this movie is about the guy that invents flubber, and he's got this, this other guy that has... Uh, he, he's, anyway... Guy's bouncing up and down. Just work with me for a second. He's bouncing up and down. He's getting higher with every bounce. And the solution is his son recruits the football team to jump on him when he comes down because the stuff on his shoe, the flubber, is making him get higher and higher and higher. Pretty soon he's going to be in real trouble. So the football team jumps on him and... And that had to hurt. But it kept him down to earth. That's what your family is for you. So rejoice in that, lean into that. They're keeping you from thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. And they're thinking, they're, they're keeping you from going further than you should in all the ways that would destroy you through pride and selfishness, okay? Get a church. Love your wife. Love your kids. Get down in the dirt with them. You know, these, these, these experts, they always tell us the things that we would know if we read Scripture and believed Scripture. Um, they say, okay, put the phone down. I think I've said that. What else? Tune in to what others are saying. Observe what others are doing, how they're doing, and inquire. Ask for ideas, opinions, volunteers for interesting work. It was fun to ask my son. I'm going to talk about loneliness. Are you ever lonely, son? He said, yeah, sometimes. I said, oh, when? When are you lonely, son? And he says, well, you know, there are only three guys in my class. Christian school he goes to. Okay, so he's talking about being alone, not necessarily lonely, but that's why he talks about these other two guys so much. They're, they're, they're brothers, you know, they're against all the girls in the class, you know, there are four other girls in, in class. But, but it was, you know, ask your kids things, get to know them. You don't feel connected? Your kids want to connect to you. Anybody go, go home, you get in the door, and all of a sudden, stop, because they're just telling you thing after thing after thing. And if you have more than one kid, it's this cacophony. And just look, before you do it, my wife and I had one kid. Before we got him up in the morning, we would go into his room. We, we would do alpha poses to prepare us for the onslaught, you know, because Sammy was just going to be this overwhelming thing. But... Your kids want to know you, so lean into that and get ready for it and just, you know, take a couple deep breaths and go in and lean in and love them and hear what they have to say. They'll talk to you, and if you don't listen to them now, when they're bubbling over, they're not, you know, they get to be teenagers and they get to start dealing with things inside their head. You want to slow that down a lot so that they keep talking. So lean into it. And and your connection with your kids will, will help you with your loneliness, okay? 
It doesn't take social researchers to, to say that. It says, fathers, don't exasperate your kids. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Admonish them and hear what they have to say about it. Now, why did I just spank you? Because, and they get it wrong all the time, you know. No, 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 no. I love you. I, it's because, because you did this. Okay, okay. Uh, spend, some, spend some time. Waste time with one of the best pieces of advice I ever got as a pastor is waste time with people. No, I got to study. No, I got to preach. No, I got to organize this. No, I got to organize. No, no. Visit somebody and talk about nothing for a while. Well, do that with your kids and then talk about something while you're talking. Um, get help from the church. The church is there to strengthen the hands that are weak. Get help from your wife. She's made to help you. And she loves helping you, or she should. And when she doesn't, talk to somebody at the church about it. You know, Not in the sense that you're turning her in, but what am I doing? Why doesn't my wife? And they'll help you. And if they don't help you, get a church that will help you, okay? There are churches that will just tell you the truth and won't actually tell you how to get there. Don't, don't do that. You need a church that is full of sinners who have gotten help, okay? So get that kind of church. Don't medicate yourself through the internet, through alcohol, through substance abuse, people abuse, anything. Um, so what have I said? It's lonely. You're lonely. If you don't know that, you are. Get a friend. Pick him up at church. Talk to him. Buttonhole somebody this Sunday and say, I'm really struggling with this. And make it something that makes you a little uncomfortable. And when they say, oh, go to somebody else. I'm struggling with this. Okay. Go to your pastor. I'm is a test for your pastor. I'm struggling with this. And if he says, huh, that's weird. Never heard of that. <laughs> or if he says, okay, read this scripture, read this. Oh, I read a book about that once. You should. Okay. Go to another pastor. I'm struggling with this. Okay. And then get connected, guys, because loneliness is going to tear you down. Your wife needs you to have friends who aren't her. Your kids need you to have friends that will show them how to have friends. Okay? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, you have given us wonderful opportunities to experience fellowship, connection, to see faith blossoming right under our noses with our children, our wives. You've given us a great opportunity to humble ourselves and admit our fears and our weaknesses every time we see our brothers in Christ. And we ask that you'd forgive us for squandering these opportunities, being afraid of them, and being content to live in a state that you said at the very beginning, the very part of our Bibles we all read when we start our Bible in a year plan. It's not good for a man to be alone. We know that. Would you teach us to walk by this truth so that we will have friends, so that we will know our wives and our children, so that we will know men in the church who can help us 
as we seek to lead our families, to lead those under our charge through this thicket, traps set by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And Father, we depend on you. We, we thank you that you are present. When we, when we pray to you, you see. When we pray in secret, you see in secret. You are there with us when we go to you in secret. Would you meet with us and help us to feel that you are present according to your promise. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Be there for us, Father, so that we may be there for those you have given to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.